Good morning and welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, our coverage of the Fast Pitch 2017 Showcase. We'll hear from the winners, some of their coaches, and tell you all about the exciting evening that happened earlier this week. Then, the United Way and the Winnipeg Foundation and the province of Manitoba announced a new partnership that's going to infuse $15 million over the next five years to family resource centers here in Winnipeg. We're going to speak with the executive director of one of those centers, Dilly Knoll. We'll also have coverage of the At the Heart of Human Rights is Human Dignity Conference that was hosted by the Islamic Social Services Association. This week we'll hear from Andy McLean, Chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the University of North Dakota, and we'll be discussing community resilience and the concept of other. And as always, we'll hear from Noah Ehrenberg of Community News Commons, Winnipeg's Citizen Journalism Project. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell, Robert Zirk, CJNU, Heart of Winnipeg. How are you doing today, Robert? Not too bad, Nolan. How are you doing today? It's been a long week. I'm ready to just hit the couch and just take it easy. I just want to put CJNU on and listen to some nice, relaxing music that just lulls me to sleep. That is a good way to chill out after the exciting week that we have had, especially with Fast Pitch finally coming to an exciting conclusion, the showcase happening this past Thursday at the Metropolitan Entertainment Center. Yeah, that was one of many. We were all over Winnipeg this week. We were at uh, the... At the, at the heart of human rights is human dignity conference. Mm-hmm. That was Monday and Tuesday. We were at a Tuesday big, and Wednesday. Tuesday and Wednesday, sorry. We were also at the uh, the announcement at the United Way on Wednesday that uh, announced $15 million over the next five years to family resource centers here in Winnipeg. And then, of course, yeah, Thursday, the, uh, the, the culmination of 10 weeks of hard work of 15... Um, nonprofit organizations that told their stories in three minutes or less. We've been covering it quite a bit on River City 360. We've had uh, guests on the show. We've had coaches. We've had the hosts, Nadia and Dave. And yeah, we're gonna bring we're gonna bring the the winners. And we've got a couple of coaches. We've got the winners. We've got uh, all sorts of coverage from that night. It was a really good time. Absolutely, it's such a great thing to be a part of. You get to hear from a variety of organizations, some of whom you may not have even heard before. And here they are in our city doing such great work. Uh, It really shines a spotlight on all of the great charitable work that's happening in our community. Um, I hope that everyone, uh, if if you're interested in making a gift to any of these organizations, uh, we'll we'll give you the link where you can actually do so up until this Thursday. Um, There's a link online where you can make a gift to any of the 10 uh, showcase finalists. And uh, we'll be speaking with some of the, uh, and we'll be speaking with some of the grant winners from this past Thursday's showcase as well. It's going to be a, a great show. It's been quite the week, but let's get things started. And as always, Nolan, before we do get things started officially, we've always got to kick things off with a song. Here is Xavier Kugat and his Waldorf Astoria Orchestra with Jungle Drums, Canto Carabali, right here on River City 360. (laughs) 
was Corey Campbell, executive director of Project Nichiwam and the Coach's Choice Award winner with an honor song to start his pitch at last night's Fast Pitch 2017 showcase. Corey was one of 10 finalists in the Winnipeg Foundation's Fast Pitch 2017, and he was awarded the Coach's Choice Prize of $2,500 for his three-minute fast pitch. Other winners of the evening included Angela McCoggan, who won $2,500 for Scope, taking home the Presenter's Choice Award. Roger Barrington of CanU was awarded $5,000 grant for the People's Choice Award. And Chelsea Jallo of Sunshine House took home the grand prize, which was a $10,000 grant for her fantastic pitch. So of the four winners, Corey, Angela, Roger, and Chelsea, everyone was very happy and very thankful and appreciative for the entire experience. Um, they talked to us about the community that Fast Pitch really helped to strengthen. We asked Corey what motivated him to start his pitch in such a powerful way with that incredible honor song. For me personally, growing up I was told to be proud of my heritage and be proud of where I came from, but I didn't really have those benchmarks. I didn't have those tangible sources of pride and when I finally got them I really really embraced them and of course I also mentioned that for our people we look at everything as a gift and we must always be thankful for the gifts that we get every morning is a gift every evening is a gift uh, you know every meal is a gift so the opportunity to talk about the great organization that I work for to be able to say thank you was really important to me and that's one of the ways that we do it is we do it through honor songs People's Choice Award winner Roger Barrington of CanU reflected on his pitch and why he focused his pitch on two specific kids, Mary and Nicole, which are two of the types of kids that CanU was basically created to help. CanU is uh, built on stories of amazing people who, uh, you know, 
provided ideas and inspiration for what we're doing. And Mary uh, was the kid who inspired us all to think about what we could do for some amazing kids with great potential in our city. And Nicole was uh, one of our very first volunteers and she volunteered with us for six years in, in a bunch of different ways. And that, those two are kind of iconic, uh, can you, uh, personalities and characters and it was so great for them to be here tonight and to be recognized by everybody and to see literally what they inspired and how far it's come in just such a short time. Each of the 10 presenters at the showcase had two coaches assigned to them to help focus their pitch and their performances. One of the coaches, Doug Darling, was the founder and owner of Tripwire Media. He coached the, the winner, Chelsea Jallo of Sunshine House, to the grand prize of $10,000. And of course, Doug was thrilled for his presenter. You know, she started with maybe actually a five, six minute uh, script. And uh, she had a whole bunch of ideas that she had kind of thrown on paper. We asked her to kind of focus on that really lead with uh, the story and, and think about what was important to the listener. And uh, she narrowed that down. She really did almost all of it on her own. And then from there, it was just guidance on performance and energy and, and went from there. It was great. How did you feel watching her up there on stage tonight? I felt like I have a child of my own, but she's only two and a half. I feel like I have now... Uh, the ability to look into the future of how proud it is. There's this vicarious uh, feeling I had when she was saying certain things, I would actually react and like celebrate. Um, it felt like a weirdly like a proud parent. It was awesome. Chelsea was actually nice enough to speak with me about her experience as well. Uh, her pitch was phenomenal and it really showcased the wonderful impact that Sunshine House has on Winnipeg. How are you feeling knowing that you just won the grand prize? Wow, I, I feel like just so humbled because the competition and the I won't even call it a competition I'll just call like everyone presenting their the work that they're doing was just so moving and so passionate that I just feel incredibly humbled to be recognized as one among many giants that I stood among. When you're standing on stage among the giants what's going through your mind when you're hearing the uh, the second place third or the uh, people's choice and the other winners what how are you feeling well i mean of course we're all participating because we care passionately about our own organizations but as a, um, as angela pointed out when she was on stage just the sense of camaraderie that's developed everyone is so earnestly pumped about the success of our companions that everyone was just like just jazzed when each person got recognized because people have worked really hard and so that was wonderful to see. I saw a lot of hugs and a lot of I'm so happy for yes, yous. And for sure, for sure. Um, how do you feel about Winnipeg when you see something like this come together and you learn about these organizations, probably some that you didn't know a, a heck of a lot about, uh, how does it make you feel about our city in general? Wow, well I think, and we talked about this a little bit last time, but I think that it's so interesting to always be learning new things that kind of when you're born and raised in Winnipeg, maybe you think, oh, I know it all, you know, it's, it's Winnipeg, but there are so many interesting and creative and important uh, initiatives happening in the city. So it, it's always nice to feel kind of a sense of wonder about that. And then of course, to just be so impressed with the, the scope of the people's dedication to their different causes is just, it's incredible. So from day one, when you were just a bright eyed innocent <laughs> to now when you're the champion, what was the, what was the transformation like? What have you learned about yourself and sort of uh, what was the whole experience like? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I didn't 
I knew kind of what I was getting into when I signed up, but I've received so much more out of the process than I ever would have thought. Um, I think that when I entered it, I thought, okay, I can gain maybe some skills, but then, you know, I can also try to get some funds for Sunshine House. But the amount of personal growth, the amount of benefit I've had from my coaches, Doug and Alana, has been incredible. Um, the, the workshops with Dave and Kate have taught me so much. Just being around people um, who are so successful and have so much expertise, it's just been such an environment where everyone can just soak up from everyone else. Uh, knowledge and experience it's been so wonderful so for next year's participants and next year's audience potential what would you say to them about fast pitch about your experience at fast pitch oh I would absolutely say sign up I mean uh, I knew that it was an advantage that this has only been around for two years because I'm sure that the the, the popularity of the initiative the the scope of how many people participate will continue to grow so certainly I would say absolutely it's worth the investment of time it's worth the the energy it's worth the nerves about getting in front of people you will absolutely gain far more than you put into it well thank you very much for talking to us congratulations and i appreciate it so much holy cow thank you very much congratulations again to chelsea and all the winners and all the presenters of fast pitch 2017 to learn more about the winnipeg foundation's fast pitch you can visit fastpitchwinnipeg.org and until march 30th you can also make a gift to any of the 10 finalists should you feel so inclined uh, by visiting winnipeg foundation's website at wpgfdn.org fpgive all one word Coming up after the break, we're going to speak with Dilly Knoll, Executive Director of the Andrew Street Family Centre, and she'll tell us about the United Way's new For Every Family initiative. The initiative has promised $15 million over the next five years to 24 family resource centres in Winnipeg, helping Dilly and her colleagues to help underserved Winnipeg families in getting the support that they need. But first, here's Guy Lombardo with It's Love, 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 right here on River City 360. Imagine you imagining that you love me And starting on a family tree Imagine starting on a family tree The mama is you and the papa is me If your heart goes bumpity-bump It's love, love, love If your throat comes up with a lump It's love, love, love If your knees go knockity-knock It's love, love, love If you cuckoo like the cuckoo in the clock it's Imagining a cozy flat, complete with running dog and cat. Imagine having running dog and cat, 
And we will have welcome on top of the mat if your heart goes bumpity-bump. It's love, love, love. If your throat comes up with a lump. It's love, love, love. If your knees go knockity-knock. It's love, love, love. If you cuckoo like the cuckoo in the clock. It's love, love, love. Welcome back to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning. Earlier this week, the United Way announced a wonderful new initiative called For Every Family, which is pledging to implement $15 million in programming and aid to 24 different family resource centers throughout Winnipeg. Family resource centers support vulnerable families with community outreach services, early childhood development programs, uh, school readiness programs, proper food and nutrition, peer support, coaching, job and life skills, and basically it's any place that you can go to get some help in really any aspect of life. Um, River City 360 was in attendance at the announcement where we heard from community members, volunteers, uh, CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation, Rick Frost, president of the Johnston Group, Dave Johnston, and Minister of Education and Training, Ian Wishart, about how much of an impact the For Every Family initiative is going to make on our city. CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation and, of course, friend of the show, Rick Frost. He spoke at the announcement about the collaboration between the United Way, the Foundation, and the province of Manitoba. I want to commend the United Way uh, for its leadership in developing this important initiative to support family uh, resource centers. This is a strategic investment which recognizes the important work that these organizations do supporting neighborhoods and the families that live there. I also want to thank the province for its willingness to support this special effort. We know that budgets are limited and difficult choices have to be made. And Mr. Minister, this is a good one. Dave Johnston, president of the Johnston Group, talked about why family resource centers were chosen as a focus of this initiative and why they are effective solutions for the problems in underserved communities. Every time we started looking at issues in the community and things that were going on and some of the you know, things like the, the number of kids in the care of child and family services, if you started looking at child poverty, all of the solution arrows kept pointing back to these family resource centers and the work that they do on an ongoing basis in the community. And, you know, people talk about the family resource centers and say, you know, why do they work? Well, you know, it, the answer is pretty simple and, you know, Dilly's here and so maybe I'll just pick on Dilly, but, and you've heard me say this before to different people, but, you know, the single mother of three every no kid is over five years old in her household that lives across the street from William White School uh, is not going to pack those children up, whether it's summer or winter, and take them downtown on a bus to go to a government office or an agency office to look for support. Especially, and especially, when she thinks there's a darn good chance that she may not come home with those children. And that is a reality in these families. Now, although some family resource centers are open evenings and weekends, many centers aren't able to keep their doors open 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, but this initiative aims to change that. We sat down with Dilly Knoll for a one-on-one interview, but before we talked to Dilly, she actually spoke at the podium to express her gratitude for what this initiative is going to mean for the Andrew Street Family Center, where she is uh, the executive director, and for the 23 other family resource centers here in Winnipeg. We are so excited about this and so happy about this because as someone who operates a family resource center, I see every day the differences it makes in families' lives. So many of our families would not reach out to many of the organizations out there if it wasn't for that first stop at a family resource center, maybe for a cup of coffee. 
maybe to use the phone, which they don't have access to at home. That's where it starts. Then they come in and they help and they volunteer and they want to give back and they want to be better. They want to get educations. They want to be better parents. We don't have to say this is what you need. They say this is what we want. They want to do so much better and they want their children and they love their children. We're going to hear our entire conversation with Dilly where we talk in a little bit more detail about the impact of this initiative. But first, we're going to take a quick musical break. Here are the Clark sisters with Take the A Train right here on River City 360.
for our listeners who don't know what a Family Resource Center is and does, give us a quick rundown of sort of what you do. Okay. Family Resource Center, I'm the executive director of Andrew Street Family Center. It's located in the north end of Winnipeg. And we have programs for a preschool program, Aboriginal, Indigenous, it's changed now, Indigenous families, that is the majority in our community, probably 80%. And so we have a preschool uh, program for little kids, Korean Ojibwe children, and their parents are involved in it also. We have a drop-in for kids 6 to 17 year old, and we have over 400 kids registered, and they seven days a week, and they come. Some of them come every day. <laughs> we feed them full meal because we know some of them come straight from school and don't go home till we close. So, uh, but we do things, activities and stuff with them, give them opportunities like uh, day camp, go out to the beach on a day, and the opportunities they don't get because a lot of times families just don't have the vehicles or the money to do that. We also have an adult drop-in where adults drop in, they can use, they can do laundry, they can use a phone, that's a community phone, so they can leave it if they're applying for a job even, and that phone will be answered by volunteers accordingly. There's a volunteer program, parent support program, doing parenting programs. We have a children's program area, so families can get respite. So it sounds like a volunteer coordinator. It sounds like a one-stop shop for families that just need support in their day-to-day lives. That's right. And Andrew Street started from the community. We went out to the community to find out what they wanted to happen in that building and then prioritize at a big community meeting to see what. So that's why the programs we have are there. And every year we find out to see if they're still relevant to their families. And so far they are. And you can kind of adjust the programs as the community needs sees fit. So why do you think those types of programs work better than something that's just told like, okay, here's what you're going to do and this is why you're going to do it? Families feel like they're seen as numbers, not people. At our center, I always believe in the old... Uh, TV show Cheers. Everyone knows your name at the Andrew Street Family Center, from the homeless to the families. They know their name, they know they come from the community, so it's not just at the center, the whole community is reflected there and and then people are more happier and it's not as dangerous out in the community because you got support from people you've seen before and that so makes a difference and they want to give back. We had 172 volunteers all from the community. They, some of them never worked before. They feel like they don't have much to give, but they'll help clean up, they'll help fold uh, flyers, they'll, you know, they'll do whatever you ask them to do because they want to be a part of it. They just don't want to get for nothing. They want to give back. So it's a place of safety and it's a place where they all can come in and feel comfortable and safe. So what is this big announcement? There's $15 million over five or six years that are coming down the pipe. What is that going to mean for your day-to-day activities? Like, how is that going to help uh, you guys on the on the ground floor, on the grassroots, really helping out these families? For, uh, like, we are a family center that's been around for, like, 22 years already. But a lot of the other centers, uh, like, are just open maybe three hours a day and those kind of things. And I think that they should get more money because they need more resources and more staff for that. At the center, I am hoping to get a half-time position, which will take on all the admin stuff in that for my staff, so this way they can spend more time with the family. So that would mean an extra parenting program, extra, uh, probably an extra 50 families a month that they'll be able to see. 
Pritchard Place program with the kids downstairs, the after-school program, they're only getting seven hours a uh, day. Now I've moved, been able to move them to eight hours a day, which helps them get a little bit more money in their pockets, but it helps the kids now get an extra hour of, of uh, place of safety to play with and, and behave. So you've been doing this for 22 years? Yes. And how, how have you seen communities change, and how have you seen Winnipeg change, and how have you seen the North End change over the past two decades? Uh, you see many changes. It's this, Selkirk Avenue is a busy place with lots of stores now. Now it's become a place of education. There are many educational University of Winnipeg, University of Manitoba, Urban Circle, like there's CEDA's doing it. So there's a lot more that educational thing happening in the center. So I think it's, give, it's becoming a place where people want to come to instead of run away from. So, and I think family centers like ours make it a place that community can have their own place, a place where they can come and just have a coffee, talk to a neighbor, but not be stuck at home or getting involved with other things because they have no other choices. They can come and have a nice, safe thing and contribute to the community, feel good about themselves. I think I know the answer to this question, but... Are you feeling optimistic about the next five years for your center and for the 23 other centers in Winnipeg? I'm so excited about this because, especially because we're doing the evaluation process of this beginning, so we'll really be able to show it in data, stats and stuff, but also in personal stories. I think the peop- that's the one thing that's changed is that personal stories are becoming an important factor instead of just numbers and stuff like that because I think We've always known in family centers that personal stories, to me, if someone says, you are making a difference for me, I kind of don't care if it, nobody else sees it. I know that we made a difference for that person, and that's what we're there for. Because we come from there. My staff are from the community. 26 staff, 22 are from the community. My board is from the community, so there's always that ownership. And that's what family resources do differently, I think, is they really have the community as part of the solution to this. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. You're welcome. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Yeah, I guess so. Hey, that's going to be fun. Thanks again, Dilly, for talking to us on Wednesday earlier this week. Coming up after the break, we'll hear from Andy McLean, who spoke about community resilience and the concept of the other. But first, here's Mantavani with Besame Mucho right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. And as we mentioned earlier on in the program, the At the Heart of Human Rights is Human Dignity Conference, hosted by the Islamic Social Services Association, took place this past Tuesday and Wednesday. It included sessions on a variety of topics that ranged from reflecting on the checkered history of human rights in Canada, what people can do to address racism and discrimination, and a look at human rights issues from a variety of perspectives. And that was one of the best things about the conference, was how it brought together such a diverse group of people. And even though everyone brought their own experiences and perspectives to the table, the issues that came up were universal. It reinforced how racism and discrimination in our society doesn't just affect a particular group of people negatively, but it affects all of us negatively as a society. And in chatting with some of the attendees, they were really glad to have a better sense of how they can take action to combat racism and build a more inclusive society. At the conference, I had the opportunity to speak to several of the speakers and will feature a new interview from the conference each week over the next few weeks. Today, we'll hear from Andy McLean. He is the clinical professor and chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at the University of North Dakota School of Medicine, as well as the medical director for the North Dakota Department of Human Services, and he spoke about community resilience and the concept of other. I asked Andy about his session and what exactly is meant by the idea of other. The topic community resilience and the concept of other had to do with, you know, we define ourselves within our communities and those can be very small or those can be very large. And resilience is also a concept that um, has to do with uh, bouncing back from adversity, but also it's, it's how do we promote you know, healthy communities as well, both, both individually and the communities at large. And so um, there's been a lot of discussion about othering and people who aren't part of our community. And my talk had to do with, you know, there are, there are certainly healthy ways of recognizing individuals who are not necessarily in our communities. And, and those you know, healthy ways are, are seeing the differences as being valuable, seeing others as being much more similar to us than different, and treat people with respect and as, as individual persons. The flip side is, where you hear about othering, is that it really treats people as objects. It doesn't value differences. It is very exclusionary. And that's where it's become more problematic. And I think, you know, unfortunately, we've kind of hijacked the term of, of, of other to be a negative thing. And we recognize that not everyone is, is going to be the same or necessarily in our group. But we have to treat each other with respect. What are things that people can do, not just in terms of the ideas of respect and tolerance, but what are ways that people can openly accept one another to further celebrate those differences? Sure, and I think maybe what you've heard from others is, is first of all, recognizing that, that we have our own shortcomings, we have our own biases, and that's, that's not necessarily um, you know, a negative thing. We just, it's, it's realistic. Our, our human nature is to um, have our own tribes, to have our own uh, opinions of our, ourselves as being more important, perhaps, and, and, and we just have to recognize our own potential biases and then see how, how that manifests itself in our relationships. And once we do that, and part of our meeting this, um, with this conference is being open about that, have, having a dialogue about that. In terms of how do we change, you know, it's, it's how, do we, how do we look at ourselves. Um, one of the things I spoke about was, was cognitive dissonance and how you know, we, we tend to find ways to not want to change our minds by digging in, by, by ignoring information, 
uh, by justifying our behaviors versus recognizing that there are things that we have to learn to grow and to be able to work through potentially changing you know, our behaviors and our beliefs. How do you think that these dialogues are going in our society right now? And where do you think that they need to be taken to move forward? Yeah, I, I think that as long as people are open enough, uh, I, you know, I, I believe that the dialogues are very important and uh, it will be exponentially moving people along. Uh, the negative side is that, that if people um, really hunker down and knuckle down and aren't willing to change, then what you see is they've actually coalesced in confirmation bias, that they only will listen to uh, things that support their own point of view. And we really have to be curious and be willing to uh, listen to others and question ourselves. And so you know, another thing that, that I've found to be helpful is, is just recognizing that people change it at, di- at different paces. And, you know, there are some people, and this comes actually out of uh, stages of change through uh, the addiction world, and, and I'm in behavioral health, mental health addiction uh, work as well, and so it's, it's recognizing that some people are not even considering, it's not even on the radar to be willing to change. Others are testing it out, and there are different things that we can do um, to help people along. We can have an inviting environment, we can give them resources, we can actually uh, do more promotion, but it, but it also depends on uh, recognizing where people are at in their readiness. It's kind of tying back to what several of the other speakers have mentioned, which is education as a way of helping create more of a culture of acceptance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, as part of education is being uh, open to learning more. And, uh, you know, that's key. And it's particularly difficult when we're talking about uh, religious beliefs and identities. And, and so it takes some willingness and some risk and some vulnerability to be open to that. What are some of the things that you've taken away from attending the conference over the past couple of days? Well, I, you know, I think that it's, it's been very gratifying to see how willing people have been to just have the dialogue, even though they don't necessarily uh, all believe the same things. They find uh, uh, areas that they can all agree on. And uh, they've been able to, uh, you know, I think get out of silos of this particular religion or this particular belief and have been able to see the assaults on people's rights as, as being universal. And, and so that's been um, very uh, gratifying but also gives me a lot of hope. All right, thank you very much, Andy. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg will join us in studio to tell us about This Week in Winnipeg through the lens of Community News Commons, Winnipeg's Citizen Journalism Project. But before we get to that, here's classic Benny Goodman with Taking a Chance on Love, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360, Nolan Bicknell and Robert Zirk here with you this morning. And we're now joined in studio, as we are almost every week, by Noah Ehrenberg. Noah is a longtime journalist and the convener of Community News Commons right here in Winnipeg. Noah, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. So the best part, in my estimation, about CNC is the how close people are to these stories. Because it's people writing stories about their communities from within, from as close as you can get, because it's yeah. usually people who are talking about lived experiences. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And um, Vivian Ketchum, who has been on the radio program before, mm-hmm. wrote a very interesting article that I just read yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe just tell our listeners about it, because it's kind of a very, um, very difficult story i would imagine for her to write and a difficult story for the people living it so tell us tell us a little about well for sure and uh the story that vivian writes is um she looks at how families of uh, murdered indigenous women are scrambling to find money to bury their loved ones so these are um as you as we all know um uh, we have a problem in this country in that we have uh, hundreds of uh, missing and murdered indigenous women and um the families that um that are faced with this uh, incredible stress um, when they find out that one of their loved ones has been murdered. They have to uh, come up with the money to bury them, and oftentimes they don't have the money. And it's expensive stuff. Like that's why people in their wills leave money to take care of things like that because it's such a burden. Exactly. And Vivian looks at some of the costs associated with um, uh, burying a loved one, and uh, she speaks to a, a local director, funeral director at um, Eternal Grace Funeral Home, that is quoting her that uh, it costs anywhere between seven thousand and twenty thousand uh, dollars for a funeral. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I mean, I mean, and that's really just basic. Yeah. You know. Um, now, of course, uh, if someone uh, is on social assistance or on employment insurance um, uh, or on EIA. Um, there is some money available for a basic, a basic uh, casket or a cremation container, um, maybe a cover some cemetery fees, 
and that's about it. You wow. know, there's a few other things that will be thrown in there. But uh, as far as being able to afford flowers, to afford a um, even um, the clothes that uh, the deceased is going to be uh, clothed in uh, for burial, uh, it's it's really a sad uh, prospect when you yeah. think that here are these women that um, you know to a large extent w- were disrespected in their life and now they face uh, a, a pauper's funeral is how Vivian describes it and so she speaks to a number of people she speaks to Sandy Banman who is a grassroots organizer in the indigenous community and um, and Sandy has attended many vigils and funerals and um, she often advocates for the families of, of missing and murdered women and. Um, she is really, um, uh, you know, uh, Sandy Bannon says that, you know, these women deserve the extras. They are, you know, they deserve the nice flowers, the decent clothing for burial, that sort of thing. And so Vivian uh, Ketchum has written uh, uh, quite a good piece. It's called Disrespected in Life and in Death, and it's on communitynewscommons.org. And yeah. I think our listeners would be very interested in reading it. It's a, it's a unique perspective because it's so very real. And it's, a, it's an angle on that, that, that story that you don't necessarily think has been covered before. I exactly. certainly haven't heard it on the mainstream sort of media. So. Yeah, when Vivian called me last week to say, you know, what about a story on this subject? Um, we talked about it and we, we realized, no, I don't think anybody has covered yeah. it. And so the benefit of having somebody like Vivian Ketchum in the community who has a long history, who is a journalist. She, yeah. She's been a journalist uh, uh, for uh, the better part of uh, uh, 15 years or so. And um, what I like about Vivian is that she is in the community, but she's also able to um, write as a journalist, also you know get some objectivity on it Mm -hmm. and of course uh, she comes to me um, as her editor in order to try and make sure that the article is presented in in a way that is fair and uh, and accurate very cool and uh, you know and comes from a a place of um, of integrity Mm -hmm. well well done Vivian thank you for writing that Mm -hmm. article very important article what else is being published on CNC Noah well, actually, uh, Deanna Ng, also a, a longtime citizen reporter for Community News Commons, uh, she writes a story uh, this month that is all about uh, innovation. And um, mm. essentially, um, she looks at Winnipeg uh, and how our city measures up in terms of the world's intelligent communities. And an intelligent community would be something where um, where their, uh, a digital economy is being well, developed. Well, Uber, Uber's on its way in. That's got to count for something, right? Well, <laughs> Ten years later or something? <laughs> well, but it is, I mean, Winnipeg does, I mean, there are a number of things that Winnipeg's trying to do. And with this latest federal budget, uh, with regards to the, with the focus that the federal liberal government has on innovation, yeah. uh, I know that our mayor Brian Bowman is very excited about this, and uh, I know that um, he'd like to um, prove to the country and to the rest of the world that Winnipeg is an innovative place. Uh, and so I think um, uh, what um, uh, one of the things that um, that our city has uh, going for it at this point in time is that, and as Deanna explains in her article, is that the, the there's a global forum on digitalization that is going to take place in Winnipeg in October. A forum? A forum, okay, actually. Yeah. So there's a, a number of people uh, that are coming here, basically the world's top policy makers uh, and thinkers from around the world will meet here in Winnipeg to discuss digital economies. And this is the first time in 25 years since this digital or global forum on digitalization started uh, that it is taking place here in Winnipeg. Cool. 
So, um, so there's a, it's an interesting preview of this forum, uh, an interesting discussion on where Winnipeg ranks in terms of the top intelligent communities. We, we were on the list of the top 21 intelligent communities uh, last year, I believe, uh, uh, and a couple years ago. This year, unfortunately, we didn't make it. Hmm. But um, uh, it is a great um, thing to think about, to, to think about all the different things that um, you know, people do uh, or cities uh, and communities do in order to become an intelligent community. Yeah, that's very interesting. You never mm-hmm. know what you're going to find on community you news. You really comments. don't. That's awesome. <laughs> it is the most diverse newsroom, I think, that uh, is yeah. going. That's <laughs> awesome. So now at the end of our time together, um, you've brought us some local music typically that uh, maybe our listeners haven't heard before. So what have you got for us this week? Well, I don't think our listeners have heard this um, particular uh, performer, singer, songwriter. Her name is Mary Soul Nagash. And she's a vocalist, a pianist, and a songwriter based here in Winnipeg. Um, A storyteller uh, with a really interesting sound that combines, uh, I guess what you would call her classical training with her R&B influences. And uh, she held her um, release party for her first single uh, back in uh, earlier this month. Uh, It was March 17th when she did that. And she's played in a number of different places uh, recently here in Winnipeg. Uh, She's appeared at the uh, Albert Albert Street Cocktail Company um, as well as... Uh, the hotel in at the Forks. Uh, just this past weekend, she was there. Cool. And um, so there should be some uh, some other uh, dates coming up. You can check out her schedule by going to marysoul.com. So that's M-A-R-I-S-O-L-L-E. Mary Soul is her first name. Uh, marysoul.com. And you can see all the dates that she'll be playing. But she, um, I think our listeners will really enjoy this. This is the first single that she re- has released. It's called Spaceship. And this is Mary Soul Nagash, and you're listening to River City 360 with Nolan Bicknell and Robert Zirk on 93.7 CJNU. Spaceship 3 I 
That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for listening, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or if you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please visit us online. The address is rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear from you. Please give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can leave us a comment about the show, request a song, or suggest a topic for a future show. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also tweet at us on Twitter or Facebook by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter or RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday. To a place where gravity can't hold us down Our feet far above the ground Kaleidoscope was